Well, this morning, uh, a lot of our songs uh, had to do with who God is and about him being a good, good father, and, and those things are all true. Um, and uh, and it's the, that thought, that understanding is really um, paramount uh, to, to comprehending what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, because this morning, we're going to talk about the aspect or uh, the process of prayer. And, um, and last week, I told you we were going to do a couple weeks of what I call acrostic sermons, where we take uh, a word and, and we use each letter to, to present a truth about a certain topic. And uh, we, we were doing this uh, to, to gain some truths about some things that, uh, that we need to comprehend, we really need to understand. Last week, uh, we, we looked at the touch of God and how when God touches our lives, it's a transforming touch. Uh, it changes us. It's an ordaining touch. Um, and we went through that whole process last week of looking at that. If you weren't here, uh, you can find that message online. Well, this week, uh, we're going to talk about the aspect of prayer. And, and there's a reason why I, I want to take some time this morning uh, to focus on prayer. There, there are three that I'm going to give you reasons why we need to do this uh, real quick. And that's because uh, in a lot of times in our lives, prayer is one of the most underused aspects of our Christian walk. We just simply don't, don't pray the way we're instructed to in Scripture. And, and we, don't, um, we don't pray um, the way the Bible tells us to. And, and we wonder why so often our prayer lives are weak. I mean, I know I'm not the only one. Have you ever prayed before and you just kind of felt like it died when it hit the ceiling? And like you're the, you're praying, but it's not God's not hearing you, or you feel like your prayer is just powerless, um, like it's having no effect whatsoever. Um, it's because so many times we don't use it, um, and then when we do, we don't use it in the way Scripture tells us to. Um, other times, uh, another reason why we need to focus on prayer is because it's misused in our culture. Uh, we have people today and many people in the church who. Who pray, uh, but when they pray, it is uh, what I call a wish list prayer. It's just anything God can do for you that you want. And we have many people that have bought into this lie that God is there as this some kind of genie in a bottle that when we pray to Him, He just gives us what we want. And you know, name it and claim it. You know, and I hear preachers on. on on TV all the time talking about, you know, God wants you to have this. And I had one this last week was quoted as saying, God wants you to be wealthy. It is honoring to God when you are rich. That's what he wants for you. And I'm like, show me that somewhere in scripture, please. But we have people that buy into that. And so we have this wishless prayer, God, make me rich. God, make me wealthy. God, make me um, whatever, give me this or give me that. And, and we have this wish list prayer. And we, we forget that there's a huge difference between a want and a need. And the only thing God promises through Scripture is that he will, he will provide us our needs. Uh, but our wants are, are totally different. And, uh, and so we have that happening in, in a lot of our lives. Um, we pray for things that don't honor God. Um, teenagers, I've had teenagers pray, God, just please don't let me get pregnant. That, that doesn't honor God whatsoever. It, not at all. I, married couples, God, don't let my wife catch me looking at pornography. Don't let my husband catch me cheating. They don't honor God at all. 
Yet that's sometimes the way we pray. And we've had people, and sometimes people pray like that. Um, but a lot of times it's just selfish prayer. Um, when, when I was the chaplain at, at Lone Grove, um, I always prayed with the, the football team before every game. I mean, right before they'd go out on the field, they, coaches would talk, and then they'd turn it over to me. I'd speak for about 30 seconds to a minute and then pray for them. And when I would pray, and, and some of you have heard this before, I, I would always pray that um, God would help them to do their best, that he would protect them, keep them safe, uh, pray for the opposing team, for safety, for them, that it would be a good game and all those types of things, good sportsmanship. Uh, but after a couple years of doing that, one of the coaches came up to me and said, I noticed that every time you pray for our team, you never pray for us to win. Why do you not pray for us to win? And I said, that's a really good question. My question back to you is, what if the other team has a chaplain and he's praying for them to win and I'm praying for you to win? How does God decide who wins? And I was kind of being facetious and he didn't even blink. He just immediately said, well, in that case, you better have more pull with the man upstairs than he has. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I don't think that's quite how it works. And, uh, and this particular guy, I want you to know, I, I developed some great relationships with these guys, and, and they still to this day see me as their spiritual mentor. Matter of fact, that particular guy called me two days ago, leaving a funeral of a fellow coach and friend who had committed suicide, and he called for counsel. And, and so there, there are a lot of people that pray this way just simply out of not, an understand, not a proper understanding. And so we have these different reasons. It's underused. It's misused. And then also we need to focus on prayer because it's expected of us. You know there's over 650 calls to prayer in the Bible. Over 650 times we're called and told that we ought to, to pray. And so it's really important for us to do that. But not only should we desire to pray and not only should we pray... I would hope we would desire to pray powerfully, to have a powerful prayer life, not a mundane, not a powerless, not a run-of-the-mill, not I can check it off my list for today as a Christian, but a true powerful prayer. And so how does one pray in a way that's powerful? Well, uh, stand with me, if you will, and you've got God's Word in James chapter 5, and we're going to look at some instructions uh, from James, and then we're going to look also... Uh, at many different points of the scripture this morning. But in James chapter 5, James is talking to the readers, and he's in what we're about to read, starting in verse 13, he's going to talk to them about um, effective prayer or powerful prayer. And, and so we're going to talk about this, and then we're going to use an acrostic to learn what it means to pray in a powerful way. So listen in James chapter 5, starting in verse 13. It says, Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The fervent prayer of a righteous person is very powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. Let's pray. 
God, today I pray that you'd bless the reading of your word. And now as we look at your word this morning, I pray that I would decrease and your spirit living in me uh, would increase and that the words would be shared today would not be my words, but yours. And that, Father, you would impact our hearts and our lives with them as our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so in the book of James, James is talking to his his uh, readers, and he makes a statement there uh, that, that is often quoted, and we hear it, but it's the fervent prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And then he gives us an illustration of that. And the illustration he uses is Elijah. And he says, Elijah, who was no more human than you and I, he was nothing more special as a person than you and I, he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three and a half years, it didn't rain. And then he prayed again, and it rained. And so he's using an example. I don't know about you, but how would you like to pray in such a powerful way that if you prayed for it not to rain, although I'm, I'm thankful for the rain, but man, if we could just take a break from it for a little while, it'd be okay. But wouldn't you like to be able to just say, okay, God, I don't want it to, we're going to pray that it's not going to rain, and then it doesn't rain. And then you come back and pray that it will rain, and then God allows it to rain. Wouldn't you like to have a prayer that's like that? I, I don't know about you. That's, that's pretty powerful. It's a pretty powerful prayer. And so how does one get, though, to be able to pray in that manner? Well, he, he starts off by letting us know something. He says the fervent prayer of a righteous person. And there's two truths in that, and these aren't really in my notes, but I'm going to give them to you. The first one is fervency, to pray with fervency, with urgency, okay, to, to pray with passion, to, to, to pray with, um, with, with, with this desire uh, to see things happen, to, to, uh, not as a last resort, but as a first resort, understanding that, that praying to God brings power to situations. So he says to pray with fervency, with passion, with urgency, and then he says this, the prayers of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And then he uses the illustration of Elijah. Elijah was a very righteous person. The reason why Elijah's prayer was powerful is because Elijah was a prayer warrior, but he was a righteous prayer warrior. You see, there's, a, there's an understanding in Scripture I think we forget, and it's found in the book of Psalms. And in the book of Psalms, it's either in chapter 66 or 68, I get them confused, but in the book of Psalms, we're told that our sin, unconfessed sin, will hinder our prayers. As a matter of fact, it says that sin that is not confessed before God keeps God from hearing our prayers. There are times when we are out of fellowship with God because of unconfessed sin in our lives, and when we are having sin in our lives that's unconfessed, at that moment we are not being righteous, and therefore our prayers are not righteous prayers. They come from an unrighteous person. So we need to make sure that we're in the right position with God when we pray, and then we need to pray with urgency and with passion. So when those two things happen, when we are willing to pray fervently, and, we're, and we do so from a righteous person's perspective, what are some things or how are some ways we can pray to pray in, in a powerful way? Well, to, to do this this morning, I just want to give you real quick, I've, I've made an acrostic for the word pray, and we're going to look at four different aspects of powerful prayer from a righteous person. First of all, a powerful prayer is one that is a persistent prayer. It's, it means to pray persistently, not 
just here and there, but a persistent prayer. Listen to what Paul said in the book of Romans chapter 12, verse 12. He says, be joyful in hope, patient in trouble, and persistent in prayer. Now, the meaning of this direction is that in order to fulfill the duties of the Christian life, and especially to maintain a joyful hope and to be sustained in the midst of our afflictions, it is necessary to cherish a spirit of prayer and to live near, near to God, and we are to pray persistently. So how often is that? How often should a Christian pray? When I was doing youth ministry and I would talk about persistent prayer, inevitably a student would come back and go, well, how many times makes it persistent? And there's not a magical number. I can just tell you, the scriptures don't tell us there's a magical number, but they do tell us of the prayer habits of some from scripture. We know that David, who was a righteous man, prayed seven times a day. You can read that in Psalms 119, 164. We're told about Daniel, who was also a righteous man, prayed three times a day in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. And we know our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ himself often would retreat and pray. We're not told how many times a day he would do that or how often. We're just told that often he would retreat alone and he would spend time in prayer. And so did the apostles. The, the, the point is there's not a magical number as to how many times we should pray. The point is that we should be praying and we should be praying often, not just at mealtime. Um, my family used to give me a hard time they would say, preacher's ready to eat, because when we would have a big family meal and they'd ask me to pray and bless the food, my prayers didn't take very long, and my brother-in-law was the worst one. He'd say, oh, he must be hungry. That was a short prayer. And I finally told him, I said, no, let me tell you something. Prayer, no, let me rephrase that. Let me tell you something. Mealtime is not the time to catch up on your prayer life. That's why when we pray for meals back here, you don't spend me, you'll never hear me pray for three minutes or five minutes over a meal in Fellowship Hall. That's not the time to, to catch up on your prayer life. That's the time to ask God to bless your fellowship meal and then get to fellowshipping. I mean, that's, that's the way it is. You, we need to be praying more than just at mealtime or more than, than it's an, when it's emergency. A, a few years back, I, I, you guys know I was here. I hadn't been here very long, and we lost a young family member of mine, an eight-year-old, killed in a car wreck. And I had family members tell me I've spent more time praying this, this week than I've prayed in years and years and years. And I'm glad they spent time in prayer. I do believe there's some ways God can comfort them through prayer. But let me tell you, our prayer lives shouldn't just happen when there's an emergency. We, we need to be praying persistently in all seasons and every occasion. We need to have a spirit and abundance of prayer in our life. The reason why so many times our prayers are not powerful is because we don't pray persistently. We don't pray persistently. And, and so we, we just kind of hot, uh, hot potato prayer, just here, there, and, 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 and done. But that's not what God wants for us. He desires for us to have a spirit of prayer in our lives and it's every day and there's going to be all kinds of times in your life where we need to be prayerful there are times you need to pray when you're facing affliction or when you're perplexed about something or when you're in danger or in want or when you're disappointed or if you've suffered loss or uh, those types of things absolutely you should spend time in prayer during those times but you should also spend time in prayer when you're in abundance when you're in gain when uh, you're being fulfilled when you've been delivered and victor and you've seen victory and all those other types of ways we need to have this spirit of prayer in our life a persistent prayer life 
not just here and there, not just when the occasion fits, but all the time. So the first aspect of powerful prayer from a, a fervent prayer of a righteous person that's powerful is one that's a persistent prayer. The second thing that you can see this morning, the uh, second aspect of powerful prayer that's effective is a prayer that involves requests. Requests. Now, I said earlier that we shouldn't just, uh, our prayers shouldn't just be wishless prayers and wantless prayers, and I agree with that. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't request some things of God in our prayer time. There are things that we ought to be requesting. As a matter of fact, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7, Ask and it will be given to you. And then James, earlier in his book, in chapter 4, verse 2, says, You have not because you ask not. And so we must not be afraid to bring our requests to God. Now, we must also remember that our requests shouldn't just be about us and what we want. It ought to be about more than that, a lot more than that. As a matter of fact, here are some things that we should be requesting of God every time we pray in our persistent prayers. One is forgiveness. You and I, as believers in Christ, we still need to pray for forgiveness of the sin in our life. This was part of the conversation I had with that coach the other day when we were talking. He was asking me some counsel about a friend that committed suicide. And, and, and I was telling him, I said, that the, really the, the emphasis is, is on um, whether or not they had a relationship with Christ. And he said, well, I know he did, but he, he wasn't really living the way that he knew he should. And I said, let me give you an example. And I said, and I tell our church this quite often, so I'm going to tell you that again. But when we become a, a follower of Christ, we become a child of God. That, and I've said this before. It's a significant difference. In the Old Testament, they're God's people. And in the New Testament, we're God's children. And those are significant differences. But in the New Testament, as God's children, we are co-heirs with Christ and we're a child of God. Now, when we come to Christ, our position in the family of God is set. We are ever and always a child of God when we become a follower of Christ. When we've truly repented of our sin and we've truly placed our faith in Christ, we become a child of God and our position is set. But we don't always have good fellowship with our father. And if you're an earthly father or mother, you know exactly what that's like. Your children will ever and always be your child. Their position as your son or daughter will never change. Even if you disown them, their position never changes. They are still your son or your daughter. But their relationship with you and their fellowship with you may not be where it needs to be when they're not living in obedience. My children don't always obey me. I know that's hard for some of you to, to believe. The preacher's kids don't always obey the preacher but they will always be my children. But our relationship gets strained. That's why John wrote the book of 1 John, or when he, part of the reason he wrote the book of 1 John, because in 1 John, and I've said this a thousand times, so I'm going to say it again, 1 John 1.9, which is oftentimes what we quote to lost people, that says, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That verse of Scripture was not written to lost people. It was written to believers. 1 John is written to believers. And he goes on to say that I write these things so that you do not sin, but that if you do sin, you know that you have an advocate before the Father. 
which is Jesus who pleads our case before the Father, as what Brother Chuck said this morning in, in the worship time. And so we have this idea of forgiveness that we need to pray for because we still have sin problems in our lives even after we become a follower of Christ. We're not perfect. And if someone said, oh, you want me, I, I, you want me to come to your Jesus and your God and you still do this and you do that and you've messed up here and you've messed up there. I stole this from Brother Chuck. And Brother Chuck would tell me one time, people say that to him, he just looked at him and said, you're making my point. You're, you're making my point. That's why I need Jesus. That's why you and I need Jesus, because we still have issues in our lives. And so when we pray persistently, we need to pray for forgiveness. We also need to pray for power of the Spirit and for victory over evil. You can look that up in Luke chapter 11. We need to pray for other people. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2. He says, I exert you therefore, exhort you, sorry, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayer, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. All men. Now, when you take that term all men, and you take that word all in the Greek, it's a really great word. And it just literally means all. So that includes two groups of people, because when you boil it down to it, there's only two groups of people in the entire world. There's lost people. You and I need to pray for lost people. Why? Because James just said the fervent prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You want to see walls come down? You want to see someone saved who walks contrary to the word of God? They walk contrary to the gospel of Christ, and yet they're hardened to the gospel, and you've witnessed to them, and you've witnessed to them, and you've witnessed to them. I'm telling you right now, you will never break that wall. Only God can break that wall. And so you pray for God to break that wall. Consistently. Jenna's mother prayed for her mother, which would be Jenna's grandmother, for 40-plus years before she was saved. And let me tell you something about Jenna's mom. She is a prayer warrior. So when I say she prayed for her for 40 years, she prayed persistently for 40 years before that wall finally broke, and she gave her life to Christ. So we need to pray for others and the lost. We, we need to pray not only for the lost people out there, but we need to pray for the other group of people, which would be saved people. Because when you boil it down to it, that's the only two groups of people in the world. They're either lost or saved. So we need to pray for saved people. When's the last time you prayed for your fellow brothers and sisters? You know, we get in a bad habit in the church. You know what that habit is? I'll pray for you. And then we never pray for them. It's one of my concerns that I had when we started the prayer chain ministry through our phones. Because before that, and we still have this, by the way, but before that, every Wednesday, we had a group of women that met and went through a prayer list, and they prayed. How do I know they prayed? Because I heard them pray. And I watched them pray. And I watched them pray with joy, and I watched them pray in tears, and I watched them pray fervently for people on that list. And my fear was when we went to a prayer chain through phones that it would stop for many becoming a time of true prayer, but just a time to get information and they would go, yeah, I need to pray for them, and then just go on about our day. Now, I'm thankful for the women that still come on Wednesdays and meet and pray because that's what it's supposed to do. But when you get a prayer chain text through our phone, it's not just so you'll have information. It's so you'll actually pray for them. It's a novel idea. That's why it's called a prayer chain. 
We get the information. We pray. That's what we're supposed to do. And we get this bad habit. I'll pray for you. And I know, you know, I'm probably the only one in here that's done that. I'll pray for you. And then five minutes later, I've forgotten all about it. So I got in a pretty good habit. And that habit is as soon as someone asks me to pray for them, or as soon as I know someone needs me to pray for them, I stop right there and pray for them. Now, I may have my eyes open, and I may be driving down the road, or I may be walking through the church building, but I'm praying for them at that moment because if I don't, and my adult ADD kicks in, I won't ever pray for them. So we need to pray for the lost people, and we need to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ when they have issues, when they're struggling. We don't need to judge them or kick them. We need to encourage them, and we need to pray for them. When they're caught up in things that we know ought to honor God, we need to pray for them and encourage them through the Word of God. We need to pray for people. And, and so when we pray persistently, um, and we pray with requests, then that is a powerful prayer. And then A... The, the third thing is, is we need to pray with anticipation that God's going to answer. We need to pray with anticipation that God is going to answer. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 21, 22. He says, and all things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. We often skip that word believing. And we think, well, we'll just, if, it says it right there. Anything I ask for, I'm going to receive it. No, no, you missed a word. It says, anything you ask for, listen to what it says again. And all things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. Believing. Now, I want you to know many Christians pray often, but they fail to receive from God because they lack faith, and they truly don't believe that God is going to answer their prayer. We, we must ask with expectancy, accepting God's blessings by faith. Now, are there times where we pray in faith and God doesn't answer? No. And some would say, wait a minute, I've prayed for things and believed them and I didn't get them. Well, sometimes the answer is no. I mean, I'm a father. My kids ask me for stuff all the time. Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes, a lot of times, most likely, they have no idea why the answer is no. But I know why the answer is no. There are times when I of God, and I believe he's going to give them to me, and then he answers and says no, and I don't understand why, but he knows why, and I trust him, because in my judgment, in my life, in the way I view things, I don't trust my own thoughts on things, and I don't, I don't trust everything about what I know about a situation, but I trust God, because he's God, and I'm not. But I want you to know when I pray, I need to pray believing he's going to answer. And we also need to understand something, too. But So before I go any further, make sure you hear this as well. A, a prayer of faith is not just about believing God is going to answer it. Because uh, one time I had a pastor friend who had a son who was in a wheelchair. And this other pastor from another denomination come up to him at, at a restaurant and, and, and rebuked my pastor friend and said, If you had faith at all, your son wouldn't be in that wheelchair. Because that's the way he believed. He believed that, based off the scripture, it says, anything you ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive it. So if you had true faith, your son wouldn't be in that wheelchair. And I was like, what'd you say? And he said, I just popped off and quoted right back to him, 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, which says that if we ask anything according to his will, we, we have. A prayer of faith is not just about believing God's going to answer it, but it's also about asking for God's will to be done. 
It is believing and praying for God's will to be done. That's hard sometimes. As a pastor in a home or in a hospital or a nursing home, and it's happened to me in all of those places, where I'm praying for someone who's sick or hurting or dying, and you know their family with everything in them wants them healed, and you want them healed, how do you pray in that manner? My prayer, and, and you've probably heard it, and some of you know, I mean, you've been there and you've heard me pray it. My prayer is, God, if it be your will, we pray that you would heal this person of their physical illness, but more than anything, we thank you for their spiritual healing they have in Jesus. That's the way we pray. I believe that God could do it. I, I get tickled. I'm going to talk about Robin for a second. Uh, Jerry and I were having this conversation, and um, he, he said, I don't remember everything it was about. It was about praying or whatever. He said, I never really, we never really talked about certain aspects of this journey that they were on. And I said, I, I can understand that. And he said, no. He said, you probably don't understand why. He said, the reason why is because if I ever brought that up, she would just look at me and say, you don't believe I'm going to be healed? <laughs> and that's I mean, just immediately, you don't believe I'm going to be healed? Because that's how much faith that she had. And, and when it comes to Robin and the others in our church that have lost loved ones and the other loved ones we lost, like Lynn recently as well, they've been healed. They've, they've been healed. It's just in a different manner in which we hoped for. But even a physical healing, and I've said this before, even a physical healing, someone who's physically healed will still face death someday. But spiritual healing never goes away. And so we need to understand that we should pray for one another, and we need to pray believing that God's going to answer it, but we need to pray that God's will would be done. Okay, And that is a powerful prayer, a prayer of anticipation, yielding to the will of God. And that actually leads me right to the why. And that is the fourth aspect of powerful prayer is a yielded prayer, a yielding prayer. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus is about to face the cross and he's in the garden and he's praying. And, and I love his prayer. But he, he says this, Father, if you're willing, and there we go, back to if it be a part of your will, Remove this cup from me. But then he makes one of the most profound statements you'll find in Scripture, and it says this, Yet not my will, but your will be done. When we pray, we absolutely need to pray in anticipation, but we need to pray yielded to the will of God. We may not know exactly why things happen the way they do or why things are going the way they are, but we need to just pray yielded to the will of God. God, if this be your will, this is what I'll do. God, I pray that it's not, if this is what I ask for, if you're willing, yet not my will, but your will be done. Years ago, I was at a church, and this is the last thing I'll say. Um, I was at a church, Jenna was pregnant with, with Galen. And we had left a, a church that had some rocky times and some trouble, not involved with us at all, loved us, and took care of us. We were young, married, got married while we were in that church. and Great people just kind of fell on some rocky times. Church split and had some issues going on, and God moved us to this different church. And we thought 
when we got there, we had, at first we thought we were in heaven. Great church, what we thought. And then all of a sudden, as Jenna's progressing in her pregnancy and just different things were happening, and me and the pastor started to kind of get a little bit cross on some things and still trying to make things work and go, as things progressed, it got miserable. So miserable, in fact, that I was just praying, God, get me out of here. Get me out of here. Now, you may not understand why someone would pray that to that point. Well, I'll give you one example of that. Um, I had a youth event, and the kids were outside playing basketball, and I was inside picking up pizza boxes. And then a couple weeks later, or a month later, whenever, we had another youth event, and I was out playing basketball, and the pizza boxes were still in, in there. And when the pastor called me in to go over his concerns, I got one that said, you were, the youth were unsupervised playing basketball while you were picking up pizza. And then about three down the list was the pizza boxes were left while you were out playing basketball with the youth. And it was stuff like that as you go through the list. But the worst thing at all, of all was the fact that Galen was born on a Saturday morning, our first child. And pastor shows up Sunday after church, comes in, sees the baby, stays a few minutes, and looks at me and says, you're going to be at choir practice tonight, right? And I was like, no. He said, yes, you are. Easter's coming up. You will be at choir practice tonight. God, get me out of here. We had one family come visit us at our home with our first child. It was tough. And I was praying, God, get me out of here. God, get me out of here. God, get me out of here. And then, lo and behold, we moved. That was in March, still there in April. In May, we had a revival. And this pastor, he was a new pastor. He just got into First Baptist Ada. That leads to a whole other story, but comes in he's preaching this amazing message on prayer and he starts talking about pray yielding to the spirit and he made this statement it doesn't matter about your comfort it matters about being in God's will and until you're willing to say God I'm yours if this is where you want me this is where I stay until you've moved me God you know my heart if it be in your will, move me. But not my will, but your will be done. And if this is where you want me, I'm content to stay here until I die. And when he made that statement, the Holy Spirit just got a hold of me and it's like, man, you've been praying wrong. Because I've been praying for God to move me, but I haven't been yielding to his will. And so my prayer after that was, God, you know my heart. You know my desire. But if this is where you want me, then this is where I'll stay. That's the way we need to pray. Not just for what we desire, but for what God wants. And the reason why is because what God wants is always better. Do you know why God left me there that long? He left me there to learn a very important lesson. And that lesson had to do with my prayer life. And it was not praying for my will, but it was praying for God's will to be done. So how's your prayer life? 
Is it a powerful prayer life like what James describes where he says the fervent prayer of a righteous person is powerful, effective, so much so that he uses Elijah as as an example and says, listen, Elijah was just a human like you and I, but he was so righteous and he was so fervent in his prayer that he prayed that it wouldn't rain. It didn't rain for three and a half years, and then he prayed again and the rain came. Are, Are your prayer lives that powerful? And if not, ask yourself, is is it because you don't pray persistently? Is it because you you don't spend time requesting things of God? You don't anticipate God that he's going to answer your prayers? Or are you simply not willing to yield to what his answer may be? I don't know where you are in in that, but I pray that you will allow your prayer life to be radically changed by conforming your mind to the Word of God and its instructions on prayer, and that you would experience the power of a fervent prayer.